This week, as we look at our lectionary text, it begins a journey through the book of Ephesians. Um, and in the book of Ephesians, this what we see is one of Paul's most formal letters that's dealing with a topics at the core of what it means to be Christian, both in faith and in practice. Regardless of any particular problems in the community, as none of that is addressed, it is addressing what it means to be Christian. And, and today we look at this idea of, in the first three chapters, and we're going to be looking at the first chapter of Ephesians today, but in the first three chapters of this letter, God is, it is discussing God's creation of this holy community through His gift of grace and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and while Paul is not responding to any particular, like we said, theological or moral problems that are going on, he wants to protect against future problems that may happen by encouraging this church to mature in their faith. And as I hear this, I think of that for many of us, we may find ourselves um, sitting in a place where there's nothing really going on, but what can we glean from this as to how we may live in the future? Or maybe as we hear this morning, what we will hear is we find ourselves in the middle of an issue, and how can this change the way in which we live and believe even amidst the chaos? And as a result of the theological realities that Christians accept by their faith in God, several practices should follow in their relationships, is what Paul says, within the church and within the home, within their world, through the way in which they live. And the book of Ephesians hits on this wide range of moral and ethical behaviors designed to ensure believers that they are living into their heavenly calling. It's these designs to say this is what it looks like to live out being the people that God creates us to be. And as we continue in our faith from day to day, or month to month, or year to year, whatever, the temptation to get comfortable will always exist. However, what we see in the book of Ephesians is that Paul presents us that the gift of God in Christ and the benefits we receive so clearly that we cannot help but ask ourselves if our lives are reflecting the reality that they should. That we don't get comfortable, but we are always questioning, are we living the life that we are called to live? Now, the latter half of Ephesians makes clear that spiritual growth occurs primarily in community with others. It's that living out of Proverbs 27:17 that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That your Christian walk should be characterized by unity, holiness, love, wisdom, and perseverance in spiritual warfare. But this morning we are going to dive in and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Um, but let us hear these words from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, where we hear this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure and he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. So that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of this glory. In Him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the beauty of the text this morning is that it addresses a a deep-rooted belief in the United Methodist Church. That belief of pervenient grace. That grace that goes before. It's that idea that before we even knew God, God loved us and claims us. Jacob, Jacobus Arminius says, Concerning grace and free will, free will is, in, is unable to begin or to perfect any true and spiritual good without grace. In other words, we can't do anything without God's grace, without God's love. This, and he goes on and says, this grace goes before, it accompanies, and it follows. It excites, it, exi- it assists, it operates that we will and cooperates lest we will in vain. And so what he's saying is this, is that God's grace is all around. It's before us, it's with us, it's even ahead of us. And, it, and what it is there to do is to assist us in what we are called to do. We are called to cooperate in God's love. Or as John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, says, he understood grace as God's active presence in our lives. But this idea of prevenient grace that we hear about in our text this morning, this love that God had for us before we even knew God, is this present, is that it is not dependent on our human actions. Or even on our human responses. But it is a gift. A gift that is always available. We talked about this last week in the idea that here is holy. That even when we don't know God is present, even when we don't see God at work, that we may trust in the fact that God has given us a gift of love, grace, and mercy, and it is always available to us. So as we look at that, what does it mean for us? That God's grace can stir up within us a desire to even know God. That, that it's that idea that we feel God's presence and all of a sudden it ignites within us a desire to be in relationship. It empowers us to respond to this invitation. To be in relationship with God and God's people. God's grace enables us to discern the difference between good and evil. It's that idea that, that as we enter into a relationship, we are, we are then seeing through the, through the light of Jesus Christ what is good and what is evil. It, it, makes us, it makes it possible for us to choose good. 
through God's grace, we are given the power and the ability to choose good, to choose God. God takes this, this initiative. God makes the first move in relating to God's people. We don't have to beg and plead for God's love and grace is what we hear in our text this morning. But God actively seeks us, actively longs for us, actively is reaching out, wanting to bring us in to the family. God's grace is given because God chooses to do so. Not in response to what we have done, but God extends but does not force us to respond. God says, here's your invitation, RSVP, if you so choose. God extends the gift and says, it is up to you if you will receive it. God's grace for Christians should be seen through this lens of Jesus Christ, is what we hear, that Christ is our God in response to grace, that Christ is the example that we are called to strive to achieve. We are called to strive to be like Christ in all that we say and do, and how we live and how we love. And so we are called to seek after the example of Christ. But what a radical thought that our worth is not determined by our actions or our reactions for so many of us we have grown up believing that if we were just good enough then God would accept us if we are just if we just did enough right things if we if our actions align then that's where our worth comes from by being a good person but our worth is not determined by our actions or even the way in which we react but it is predetermined by God's grace. That God has given us worth from day one and says, you are my beloved and I love you and I am seeking after you. Your worth is not determined by how you, by what you do, but it is determined by the one that created you. The creator gets to put the quote-unquote price tag on you and God says, you are worth more than I could ever imagine. And, and we find ourselves trying to wrestle with this, many of us in our own Christian faith. That we think of our value is in what we do, and God says, no, your value is in who you are. And if we could prescribe to that holy truth, how would that wisdom of God's grace affect how we view ourselves? Would we be more willing to extend grace and forgiveness and mercy and love to self? What about to others? If we realize that God doesn't just extend this grace to up to me, but to all persons, would it change the way in which we are willing to love and extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to others? Because that's what we're called to do. And how would it change the ways in which we respond to God? Knowing that God loves us and seeks after us no matter where we find ourselves. These are questions that we all must wrestle with. The, that as we unpack this truth that God loves you because He chooses to love you and He chooses you because He loves you it is something that for many of us is unfathomable because we live in a world where love is conditional. If I do this, if I do that, if, I'm a, if I clean up the house, then Anna will love me more. But if I don't, then she may love me less. All these types of things go into people's minds that love is conditional. I, they, and God says, my love is unconditional. 
And if we realize how humbling of a truth this is, it will change everything. It will change how we treat ourselves, how we treat others, and even how we respond to God. Because we will see others just like us. We won't be focusing on the differences or on their sins, but instead viewing them as loved by the Creator. And and we won't view ourselves through, man, I'm just such a bad person, but we will view ourselves as loved by the Creator. And because He loves us and He loves others for exactly the same reason, we will begin to view them as our brothers and sisters by adoption, Different though we may be, that we are called to honor God's decision. We are called to honor our Father's decisions to love wherever love is needed. Not merely, not just when we feel that love is deserved, but to love with reckless abandon. Because where is love needed? Oh my goodness, if you look in our world today. Love is needed everywhere. So what would it look like if everything we did was rooted in love? Not just when we felt that love was deserved. You see, love is not something that is given and, and, and withheld by, the, by being deserved. As we hear in our text, it is given before we even knew that we needed it. Ephesians 1, as we hear, it it tells us that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we are called to honor this adoption of love by recognizing our siblings. Now, for many of us, we go, I don't want them in the family. And this is no different than our earthly families. We know that we cannot pick our families. And that for many of us, even as we start thinking about our current families, we find ourselves going, I, I can, there are people that I, just, I hadn't talked to in a while because I disagree with them. And we, and we may not always agree with our families, but what we can choose is to act in love towards those people. And God is proclaiming in our text this morning that as the old song as the song says that we are family. So what would it look like if we could through grace proclaim that though my sister and me don't always agree politically we're we're really trying better to understand where each other are coming from to have open hearts and open ears because we owe it to our Father. Or, or if we could proclaim that though my brother who doesn't align with what I think and, and, and his beliefs and his relationships are encountering and attracting a lot of hatred these days, I, I, I find myself reminding him that he's not alone. Because he's loved and cared for by my father and our family. Now, for many of us, we hear these things and they sound really good. But we also must realize that for many, for many of our brothers and sisters, this is not the case. That what, what would it look like if when we see a brother or sister that's being oppressed, persecuted, marginalized by prejudice, hatred, apathy, that we may know that I know better 
than to walk in these church doors without checking on them first. Without reaching out and welcoming them in. Without bringing them into the family. Without letting them know that they are loved and cared for and that they are not alone in their fight because my Father has raised me better. You see, the beauty of God's proclamation of love this morning is that what we hear is that our divisions, our our human divisions, our worldly divisions can be overcome by God's grace. That God's love is not rooted to separate, but to unify. And that we don't have to decide, that we don't get to decide who's in or out, but what we do have to decide is if we want to be a part of the family. And if we're going to be a part of the family, we are called to act in love. And love does not divide, but love brings together. So we must analyze our own lives and see how is it that we are pushing others away and because God is calling us to bring others in. This has become a large issue in the family of God. People claiming to be in the family, but acting in a manner that says that they've got no home training, to take a phrase. I can recall growing up that there would be times where I would be out and about and think that nobody was watching and I would start doing things that probably weren't the best thing to do. And so often, more times than not, my mom always says that I could never do anything wrong because I always got caught, which there's probably some truth to that. But someone would pull me to the side and say, I know your mama raised you better. And sometimes I think us as Christians need to be pulled to the side, looked dead in the eye, and for someone to proclaim, I know your father raised you better. My hope is that as we read Ephesians 1 this week, that we will do so with fresh eyes. That we will let the spirit of the passage lead us to see all that we encounter as brothers and sisters whether they look like us, act like us, think like us, vote like us or not, what difference could that make in your life? We we know from Ephesians 1.10 that the fulfillment of love will be to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And in a world where we see dividing lines being drawn day by day, to, we're separating segments of our society, whether it be Republican or Democrat, whether it be black or white, whether it be gay or straight, whatever. Every, it seems like every time you turn on the TV, every time you get on social media, there are dividing lines being drawn. What would it look like if we were to seek to unify and love and care of all of our brothers and sisters? And to welcome in as God does without prerequisite with what may appear in our, to our world as reckless abandon. That we as the church can seek to live out Ephesians 1.9 to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. To welcome in in love. So the question that I want you to wrestle with, the question that I want you to live out, is where do you plan to focus your efforts as you work towards seeing all men and women as your adoptive brothers and sisters in the family of Christ? Amen and amen.